It would be great if you could open up the Bible at Mark's Gospel again that we had at Mark chapter 3. What we do here week by week at CC is we look through passages of the Bible uh, because that's the way that God has promised to speak to us by the power of his Spirit. So we're going to be looking at Mark 3, 7 to 35. And because in the end it's the Lord who wants to speak into your hearts, not, not just words from me, let me pray that uh, he would speak by his Spirit to us now. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank and praise you that you are the speaking God. And we praise you for all that you've been saying to us so far in Mark's gospel. Please, again, speak into our hearts. Would we hear your voice? Teach us of the Lord Jesus wherever we are in knowing him. And as you teach us, would you move us with your love and enable us to follow him for Jesus' name's sake. Amen. Now, two things are very clear, aren't they, after the bombing in Manchester on Monday night. One is this. Family is very precious. I guess if you have children, you you suddenly felt you wanted to pull them a little bit closer. James Corden said, we all go home and hold our small, our young ones a little tighter this evening. And the second thing is this. The world is filled with evil. And those things were probably no more summed up than when Olivia Campbell's picture came up, were they, on Tuesday morning? This photograph that haunted us. Her her mum, Charlotte, on the BBC saying, she's only a 15-year-old girl. She's out there on her own because her friend has been found. Her phone is dead. Her father is out looking for her. Can you imagine what that was like? There are so many people out there looking for her. If anyone sees her, contact me. Give her your phone and let her ring me. I just want her home. And I guess there have been some of you like me who feared the worst and slightly hoped for the best, who checked the news more and more regularly, waiting to see what had happened to Olivia. And then the news came. And the next we saw of her mum was distraught on that vigil in Berry. Friends and family gathered around her, remembering Olivia, and her calling upon the crowd, don't let my daughter be a victim. Now, don't you long to enjoy life in a world, maybe family life in the world, where there is no evil? To, to not worry when they're a bit later home of a night than they said they would be. To to not worry what they're doing on the internet, who they're talking to. To to never have to attend the the funeral of someone you love. To attend the funeral of your own child. To, To know what it is like to be in a family where you're loved because that's never been your experience. And your family's not been all you know it should have been. Well, can I say to you this morning that God has promised that he is going to gather to himself a family. And that he's taking them to a beautiful home. A place where they will enjoy security and safety forever. And the Bible is the history about how God is fulfilling, how he's going about making that promise a reality. And in the first half of the Bible, the Old Testament, as the promise goes on, we see that God himself says that I will come. The Lord will come and I will gather in my people. I will take them to myself. They're incapable of following me. I will take them home. And Mark's gospel says, now he's come. You see, that's the the beginning of 
Mark's account of Jesus' life. Mark 1 verse 1, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. That Jesus is the Messiah, the, the one promised throughout the whole Old Testament who'd be God's king, who'd gather in his people. He's the Son of God, the Lord himself, come to earth so that we can know him and be freed from evil. And the question in Mark 3 is, well, who's going to be in God's family? Who is it that the Lord is gathering to himself? And if you're here today and you're someone who, who's not yet a Christian, who, who knows in your heart that following Jesus Christ isn't what you do day by day, well, I hope by the time you get to the end of this passage, you'll see why Jesus' family is not just the best news in the world, it's actually the only hope for a world where evil reigns. So here's the first thing we see. We see the head of the family. You see, Jesus' big news, chapter 3 and verse 7, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to a lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. The crowds have found out his latest location, but, but Ma wants us to know where these crowds are, are coming from, because that's very significant. There's that list of names in verse 8. When they heard all he was doing, many people came from Judea, Jerusalem, Edomir, and the regions across the Jordan, and around Tyre and Sidon. See, Judea and Jerusalem were at the heart of God's promised land, the place that he promised his Old Testament people, the Israelites, would be their home, their safe place. Uh, Edomir is to the south. J- Judea is off to the east. Tyre and Sidon is to the north. What Mark is saying is people were coming all from every corner of God's family home to Jesus. And they were coming long distances. Edomir to the south is about 100 miles from Galilee where Jesus was. And when you take into account the windy roads, that means that some of these people were walking over a week just to see Jesus. And when they saw him, he was doing all the things the promised Messiah would do. He was healing people. He he was casting out impure spirits. He was teaching with authority. See, the evidence is clear. Here is the man who's gathering God's family, and as he does it, he does exactly what the Bible promised the family gatherer would do. Here is the Lord come to his people, the head of the family. Now, squeezed in amongst the saddened news of the atrocity in Manchester this week was the death of Roger Moore, Sir Roger Moore. And if you're like me, you grew up in the 70s and 80s, Sir Roger Moore is James Bond. And he played Bond, didn't he? He's quite a suave character. And apparently, he, as a bloke, he, he was a charming sort of bloke. There was a news article I read about one guy who's a journalist, a uh, cinema journalist these days, and he said as an, a seven-year-old, he saw James Bond, Roger Moore, in a, a French airport. And so he said to his dad, a granddad, I'm, I'm going to go and get his autograph. So the seven-year-old trooped off, got the, the autograph. Roger Moore duly signed it. He came back to his granddad, and they looked down together, and, and there was this this scrawl, and then rather disappointingly, the boy saw a name that he didn't know at all, Roger Moore. So his granddad said he'd go and sort it out. He went to see Roger Moore, and Sir Roger Moore called the boy over, and he said this to him, I have to sign my name Roger Moore, because otherwise Blofeld might find out where I was. (laughs) And he asked the lad not to tell anyone he'd met James Bond. He looked like James Bond. He sounded like James Bond. He was James Bond. Jesus is the Messiah. He does the things the Messiah should do. He sounds like the Messiah. He gathers in people from the Messiah's home country. He is the head of God's family, the rescuer. 
Now, we've seen already in Mark's gospel, the crowds are amazed by what he does. They say, we've never seen anything like this. And no one had ever seen anything like Jesus. And no one has ever since seen anything like Jesus. Now, Mark's readers need to know that. Because the last thing that happened in Mark 3, 6 was the religious leaders got together with the political hierarchy and plotted to start killing Jesus. You see, following the Lord Jesus Christ is not always easy. Though people flock to him, people oppose him. And we need to know that, don't we? If you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ here today, you need to know he is the head of God's family. Our people are still flocking to him today. Because there's a danger that we can listen to the world and we can think, oh, Jesus, he's irrelevant at best. He's, he's for the unintelligent. He, he, he's sidelined. He, he's a freak for the freaks. But, but no, says Mark, he's the only hope of the world. He's the Lord on his earth. He's the one who's come to gather in God's family. Though it doesn't appear that that's what Jesus wants in terms of popularity. Can you see that in chapter 3 and verse 12? Whenever the impure spirit in verse 11 saw him, they fell down and cried out, you're the son of God. But he gave strict orders not to tell others about him. Why does he do that? Well, Jesus hasn't come primarily to be a healing artist, a showman to whom you can take all your problems and diseases. No, primarily he's come to call people to God's family. We've already seen that in Mark chapter 1, where Jesus says to his followers, let us go somewhere else to nearby villages so that I can preach there also. That is why I've come. You see, that's how people come into God's family, by hearing the message of Jesus. And that's a task he shares with others. Because here's the second thing. It's the family business. See, Jesus sets up the family business. Look at verse 13. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. Now, big things happen on mountains uh, in the Bible quite a lot of times. Probably most famously, Mount Sinai, where God's Old Testament people, the Israelites, met with him and he made his covenant, his promise to them, I will be your God and you will be my people. And on Sinai he gave them his law, if you remember, most famously the Ten Commandments. And now Jesus is on a mountain again. And just as there were 12 tribes of his Old Testament people, Israel, now there are 12 men he calls to himself. You see, we're supposed to make a connection Old Israel, old people of God, 12 tribes of people called into being on a mountain in the Old Testament. But now, here comes the Lord himself, 12 men called to himself, new people of God, the true family of God. That's who Jesus has come to establish. And did you see the criteria for being in his family? He called those to him he wanted, and they came to him. It's simply to be called by Jesus. He takes the initiative. There's nothing special about these blokes. In fact, we find out very little about them in Mark's gospel apart from their names. What we do read, as we read on in Mark's gospel, is they're pretty slow to believe Jesus. They like to brag about how great they are, that they deny Jesus when they're put under pressure, and finally they desert Jesus when he needs his friends the most. They're not the sort of people you'd call to yourself, but they're still called by Jesus called into a relationship to be with him. And they're chosen for a specific task. We can see that down in verse 14 and 15. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach 
and to have authority to drive out demons. That's just what Jesus has been doing. And these guys are to keep going with his ministry, calling people into God's family, saving them from the evil that consumes them. That's the family business. Preaching that message that brings people to know a loving Heavenly Father. Now, in case you didn't know this, in history, surnames quite often used to be about what you did. Your family name was to be the family business, because basically everyone did what their parents did. So the Coopers, they, they made barrels or casks. That's what a Cooper did. That's where the name Cooper comes. The Smiths, they were in charge of the forge, and they did the metalwork in the village. The Farmers, you see how it works? Actually, where I'm from in North Wales, where my family are, they still know people by what they do quite a lot of the time. That's because half the people are called Jones. So you have to be able to distinguish them so far. So we have uh, Jones the Post, Jones the Sheep, Jones the Bus, you know, Jones the Sweep, Jones the Preach. People are defined by what they do. And as Jesus calls these followers to himself, he says these 12 men, you're going to be part of God's family and therefore you're part of the family business. That's making known the great message that God has come to rescue his people in the person of his son. That's why if we want to find out how we can be in God's family, it's to these men we need to go. It's what we have recorded in the New Testament. Their eyewitness accounts. And those eyewitness accounts show us just how far Jesus was willing to go so it's possible for us to come into God's family. We get a hint of that in verse 19 with the last disciple named and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. Now you could argue with hindsight, that wasn't a great choice, was it Jesus? But but that would be to ignore that Mark has already cast the shadow of Jesus' death on the cross over his life. It was no accident Jesus chose Judas. He chose his own betrayer. See, Jesus calls people into his family here on a mountain, but he finally makes it possible for us to go into God's family on a hill outside Jerusalem. He does that as he dies. As in his love, he gives up life so that his people can be forgiven for anything and everything they've ever done. Because the last thing we're going to see is that being in God's family, it's actually about being a forgiven person as we see the family members, the family members. Have a look at verse 20 with me. Then Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. (laughs) Isn't that what most mums would do? You haven't had your tea. How can you hope to preach on an empty stomach? You're not going out healing with your friends until you put a coat on. You'll get a chill out there. I don't think that like Mary here thinks that Jesus is deranged. But I just think it's she and her other kids, because Joseph and she had children after Jesus was born. I think it's that they haven't grasped the enormity of who Jesus is yet. And Mark gives us a bit of a Bible sandwich here. You see, in verse 20 and 21, he talks about Jesus' family, his his mother and brothers and sisters, and he's going to return to them in verse 31. But but in the middle, he tells us about who isn't in Jesus' family. And it's quite a shock, because the people not in here are the religious establishment, the the top scholars of Jesus' day. 
that they've come down from Jerusalem, they've heard about this big new preacher, surely they'll recognize the Lord's Messiah. Look what happens, verse 22. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, he's possessed by Beelzebul, by the prince of demons, he's driving out demons. It's interesting, isn't it? They they don't deny he's doing miracles, because they couldn't. The miracles are there for all to see. No, they just ascribe his power to the, to the forces of evil. Jesus' reply is stunningly simple. Do you see his reply in verse 24? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. If a country has a civil war, it rips itself apart. If a family fights, it falls apart. And so says Jesus, verse 26. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. Why would the devil, Satan, fight against himself, says Jesus? Now, I don't know what you you make of the devil. It it might be that you're quite new to Christian things, uh, and the idea of there being a devil or Satan seems very strange to you. But the Bible is, is very clear that behind the evil of the world is... A person, a person who is out to destroy God's work and God's people. And the great news is, Jesus has come to smash him. Do you see that in verse 27? In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. See, I can't cast out demons unless I'm actually opposed to Satan, says Jesus, unless I tie him up. I'm not in league with the devil, says Jesus. I'm the one with the power to defeat him, to to free people from his grip on their lives. Now, Now, after the week we've just had, isn't that the best news in the world? That there is someone who has the power to defeat evil. Someone who's come to gather his family out of the clutches of evil and take them home to safety. Who who rescues them from the the power of the devil's lies now and will take them eventually to be out of the presence of evil. There's a suggestion that, isn't there, that one of the victims, Kelly Brewster, was trying to protect her niece when she died. I guess we we like to think we, we might have done the same thing. Something heroic. I mean, blokes, blokes always think we can do heroic things. Very often, I don't know if I'm the only bloke, we play through the scenario where we do the heroic thing when our family is under threat. I mean, for instance, I love the film Taken. I know I shouldn't like the film Taken. I am a purist. Uh, it's only Taken 1. I haven't watched Taken 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, however many of them are. Now, I don't want to wreck the plot because the plot is quite subtle to you, but I'll, let me tell you. In the film, Liam Nielsen's daughter is kidnapped by human traffickers. Little do they know that Liam Nielsen is, as surprisingly happens in films, an ex-CIA operative. The world is full of ex-CIA operatives. And as he says it, he has a certain set of skills. Now, not wanting to ruin the sophisticated plot for you, let me tell you what happens. In the end, he gets all the baddies around Paris with varying degrees of violence, and he rescues his daughter from the clutches of evil. And as blokes, we think, that's great. I'd love to do that. I mean, if you watch a bloke walking out of action, next time you go and see an action film, ladies, watch how the blokes walk out. This is true. You go to the cinema, and they've watched an action film, and they walk out like this. Yes. They're on the prowl, 
And what they're thinking is, if anyone went for me in the car park, I'd have them. I've watched Liam Nielsen. I have a certain set of skills. You see, we love to think we could rescue our family. But the problem is this. We can't. I can't save my family. I can't save them from the evil in the world around them. I can't save them even from their own selfish and destructive desires. I can't heal their sicknesses, and I can't prevent their deaths. In fact, if you asked my kids to tell you what, what it was like in our household, I'm sure they'd tell you, well, some of the time it's actually my dad's sin, my, my dad's evil heart that brings misery into my life, not my dad's love that saves me. See, I need to recognize that I can't save myself from myself. That I'm part of the problem in a world of evil, not part of the solution. But, but Jesus rescues people from the clutch of the devil. From the one who, who's bound them over to the, to the lie that, look, reject God and live for yourself, it's best. And what do we have? We have the history and the news we enjoy as a result. The one who's blinded them to the belief you can live how you want, and there are no consequences to God, from God. The one whose sole aim is to trap people in a selfish lifestyle, in his power, and to deny them the knowledge of a loving God who made them. And Jesus has come to bring people out of that into God's family, where they know a, a loving Heavenly Father who sent his one and only Son. The son who came to die for them. Or where they know the power of God's spirit day by day. Filling their hearts with his love and enabling them to, to live with just a little bit of humility. Or where they know the certain of a future home in the presence of God. In a perfect renewed creation. Because the Bible tells us Jesus is going to come again. And then all evil will be wiped from the face of the earth. So the question is, who, who's in? Who's in this family? I mean, doesn't everyone want to experience that? A, a present, secure, in a relationship for love, of love. A future in a, in a place where all you'll know is love. I mean, isn't that what Danny and Sarah, isn't that what all parents are trying to do for their kids? Trying to do, and if we're honest, failing? Well, who's in? Well, look at verse 28, what Jesus says. Truly, I tell you, People can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. These are serious words, says Jesus. Truly I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. There is nothing beyond the forgiveness of God. There is no one who cannot enter this family. All are welcome. Now, the world says this word sins are nice things that a spoil sport God says that you can't do. But, but there's nothing nice about sin. It's that self-serving attitude of our hearts that cares less about others and more about ourselves. And sins result from sin. It's why I get angry when I don't get my own way. It's why I'm greedy because I'm just concerned about my own consumption. It's why we hate when other people just don't make us feel good about ourselves. And what does Jesus say? I tell you the truth. People can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. Whatever you've done, however bad, 
even if you've, you've bad-mouthed God himself, forgiven through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ at the cross. You see, Jesus doesn't just say you can be forgiven. He goes and makes your forgiveness possible by dying in your place. That's where Mark's gospel is heading, to a cross outside Jerusalem in chapter 15, where Jesus dies to bear our sins. I was chatting to two people recently. Both have become Christians in the last year. So both have been welcomed into God's family. Both have found freedom, and they found forgiveness, and they found love as a result with Jesus. One was a girl who'd been repeatedly sexually assaulted by someone she trusted as she grew up. The other was a man who'd served time in prison for rape. There is nothing that you've experienced that coming into God's family cannot provide wholeness and healing for. There is nothing that you have done that Jesus Christ will not forgive you of if you will come to him. There's actually only one way you can exclude yourself. It comes in verse 29 and 30. Verse 29. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They're guilty of an eternal sin. What does that mean to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit? Well, Jesus tells us in the very next verse, verse 30, he said this because they were saying he has an impure spirit. To blaspheme the Holy Spirit is to ascribe to Jesus and what he does and to say that is evil. In fact, that word in blaspheme in verse 29 has the idea of a present ongoing activity. So this is someone who just keeps on presently rejecting Jesus. And remember, these teachers of the law who who are slagging him off here, they were there again at Jesus' trial condemning him, that they were there at the cross mocking him as he died. They're set on seeing him killed. That's what it is to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. But if you won't come to Jesus as the one who is the Lord on earth, his saving king, come to rescue you, then effectively you're doing the same thing. You are rejecting Jesus day by day by day by day. You're killing him out of your life. You see, if you reject the Spirit of God who works in the Son to reveal this glorious plan of rescue, this amazing act of love that God has come to bring you into his family, if you reject the only means of forgiveness, there is no forgiveness. See, God's family is not about what you do. It's not about your religious upbringing. It's not about the country you were born into. It's not even about your DNA. It's about being forgiven by Jesus. That's why this happens in verse 31. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived standing outside. They sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers? Jesus asked. Then he looked around and those seated in the circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Can you imagine sitting in the house as Jesus spoke those words? Perhaps, perhaps as, as he spoke them, he pointed. Who, who are my mother and my brothers, my sisters? Here are my mother and my brother and my sisters. That, that's a, a huge privilege. See, there is a bond closer than blood. 
It's been brought into God's family by the blood of Jesus. And so Jesus says in verse 35, whoever does God's will is my brother and mother and sister. God's true family is made of those who do his will. And we know what his will is in Mark's gospel. Jesus has already told us. He said in Mark 1.15 that it was to see him, to, to turn, to repent, and to believe in him. That's God's will. Whoever comes to Jesus, God's rescuing son, is welcomed into God's family. And that's what we're praying for William Elliot as he grows up. Not, not that he becomes a great sportsman. Not, not that he passes fantastic GCSEs and A-levels and goes to a brilliant university. Not even that he's a well-rounded individual. We're growing up that he come to know Jesus. Because that's the way into God's family. Do you see verse 28 again? Maybe you need to hear this this morning. Truly I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. Now, those are great words of reassurance, aren't they? That there's nothing that you can do that is beyond God's forgiveness. And verse 35, whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Those are great words of privilege, aren't they? And an intimate relationship with God himself. So let me ask you, just as we close, are those the realities of your life? Are those the realities in your heart of how you see yourself? Do you know today that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, your identity is child of God, forgiven whatever you've done? Are you secure in that? There is nothing that can exclude you from God's family. The, the, the things you think are hidden behind your Sunday facade, he knows and he forgives you. You're a child of God. And it's a precious thing to be in God's family. You see, if that's your identity, did you know that? It, it, maybe you're struggling with being single. Or perhaps you're desperate for a baby and, and actually this morning was quite hard for you because you've gone through the, the heartbroken thing they call infertility. Or maybe you've been widowed or divorced, or even had the sadness of attending the funeral of one of your children. Maybe your family hasn't been all that you hoped it would be. Well, you are in a family. And the Lord Jesus says to you, here are my mother and my brothers and my sisters. And that's a challenge for us here, I think, at CC, Chessington Evangelical Church. Because the question is, will we express that in our relationships? Uh, one of the things I do is I um, ask people, well, what do you think about Chesney Evangelical Church? And I ask you guys, well, well, what are some of the weaknesses? And time and time again, the primary weakness that people come up with is, we're not a very friendly church. What they mean by that is not that they don't receive a great welcome or that people aren't nice to them, but we're quite a hard place to establish meaningful, deep friendships. And I think that's probably because a lot of us have been here quite a long time, and partly because a lot of us are related to each other. I sometimes say, Chesterton Evangelical Church, quite a big church, surprisingly small genetic pool. <laughs> and what we need to do, therefore, as a church, is ensure that we have open relationships, that we express that there is a bond closer than blood to be in God's family. That actually, we are all 
in an intimate relationship with a loving Heavenly Father and therefore all share the same depth of relationship with one another. And can I urge you, just as we finish, if you're not someone who's yet a follower of the Lord Jesus, don't, don't reject him permanently. Don't, don't walk out of here and just get on with life as though you've not heard anything this morning. See, he's come to offer you a place in God's family, to welcome you in love. A love that died for you. So you can have God as your father now, and you can look forward to an eternal future in a world without terrorism. In fact, in a world without any evil of any kind at all. Will you come to him? He calls you and says, come in to God's family. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we are all children. By nature, we have had fathers and mothers. But our experience of family is something that's very, very different. Even talking about family can be hard for some people. It can bring tears to their eyes. Whereas for others, it brings a smile to their face and many happy memories, many much hope for the future. Thank you so much, our loving Heavenly Father, that actually this whole concept of family has its root in you. And that you're the God who through history is calling people into your family through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that the only way that we can exclude ourselves is by rejecting him. Thank you so much. There's nothing that we've done or said that cannot be forgiven. And there's no way that we can be taken out of your family if we trust in Jesus. Please, would that be our identity day in, day out? And as that's our identity, would you help us to love one another accordingly? For Jesus' name's sake. Amen.